welcome to the Two World Podcast, where you can hear thoughts and reflections on unique intersections between faith and culture. Tune in regularly for this foray into feelings of surprise and interconnectedness and aha moments in life when two worlds come together. Now join your hosts, Barney and Jacob, for this most recent episode. everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Two World Podcast. I am getting us started today, and I am Barney, and I am joined with my co-host, and he is... Jacob! And um, both of us are fathers, and one of the delights of having kids is um, the unexpected things that they do or say or... Um, uh, whatever we observe them doing. And um, it makes us uh, enjoy those little aspects of life. And it also helps us to kind of reflect on who we are and where we've been in our lives and and often think of things um, a little bit differently. Uh, maybe re-examine the way that um, uh, the things that we thought about uh, certain things. Uh, when we were getting ready, when we were expecting Yuma, um, I think that maybe I promised myself, probably from observing other people, both in America and Japan, I promised myself that if Yuma ever had a question, I would answer it. And, and I knew that I needed to be ready for the why questions. <laughs> um, hanging around with my nieces and nephews, I, I knew that there's always that, that phase when they're young, when, when lots and lots and lots of why questions come around and I told myself that that no matter what I would answer them <laughs> and I I do stay diligent to that but sometimes the questions when he's sleepy or I'm sleepy the why questions they just don't make a lot of sense you know and and the answer the best answer I can give him is well that's just the way it is <laughs> you know like um you know, something like I, I say, well, I'm so glad that my favorite team won their hockey game. Why? <laughs> well, they're my favorite team and I'm glad that they won. I didn't want them to lose, you know, <laughs> something like that. But um, there are a number of other questions on a number of other topics that uh, both of my kids, um, ages six and a half and almost three, um, ask us. But I thought, and then I proposed this idea to Jacob and he thought it would be a great uh topic to talk about today. And I, if you don't mind, Jacob, would you mind getting us started with, with some of the questions that, uh, that your kids have asked you or maybe still ask you that, that would be fun to uh, reflect on today? Absolutely. I find it interesting that at different stages in their growth, the questions have slightly different focus or nature. And I wanted to start with a question from our oldest, Micah, really asking maybe deeper societal existential questions, uh, and then move through some of the other ages and types of questions that are being asked by our other kids, uh, our daughter, Aubrey, and then our youngest, Hannah. So I might start with a question that came from Micah that really cause me to pause for a while and reflect. And it was an opportunity, as you said, to, to think about our world, uh, to examine my own 
life and beliefs. And, and that is um, related to the events in 2020 with the killing of George Floyd. There was so much going on in our culture and in our world at that time that was disruptive already with the pandemic. And our norms were all turned upside down in terms of um, social distancing and uh, things that we could and couldn't do. And then this tragic event happened and there was a powerful response locally here in Worcester. And I'd like to share a picture of that and it's related to Micah's question. And so I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. We had um, the opportunity locally to come together as a community and to um, publicly agree and make the statement that we lamented the killing of George Floyd and felt that it was unjust and a tragedy and something that should never happen again. And a variety of the faith communities in Worcester and civic organizations, the NAACP, the College of Worcester, many community partners came together and publicized this gathering downtown in the square to say that we stand in solidarity with the family of George Floyd and the community um, that he grew up in, in the midst of this tragedy and to call for, for change and, and reform and renewal in our society and a yearning for God's healing and, and justice in our world. And particularly in relation to the area of racism in our country. And so we had this huge gathering Micah saw this and he observed people coming together. He observed what people were saying about the problem of racism in our country. He uh, reflected on that. And then he, he asked me about it and he, he, his question first was more like, why do people hate other people just based on the color of their skin? And then it moved to, what can we do about it? And I think um, there it's such there's such big questions like why do why do people hate other people? Um, there's um, a huge uh, uh, deep existential aspect of that of like we as human beings have of that brokenness within us that that we can disdain others who are different from us. Um, but then there's the whole aspect of what can we do about it where it's the question turns on our own response and action to that. Like, are we actively like rooting out the hatred that we have in our own lives? Are we, are we doing something corporately to speak out against hatred in our society? And um, so um, Micah asked this question and I, and I just remember saying, well, I think um, coming together like this is one thing we can do. And so uh, a few weeks after this event, there were follow-up um, gatherings and Micah made a sign um, and he went with me and some of his friends from school were there. And I think it felt good for him to be able to also join in this um, message that we care about all members of our community, that racism is wrong and that we want to speak out and, and seek healing and, um, and change. 
And so um, that was really empowering for him to be able to do that. And I'm glad he asked that question. And it, it was part of maybe observing him growing up and getting to a deeper understanding that he wanted to be uh, engaged and active and bringing positive change in the world and in the areas that he could. And so being a part of gatherings like this and um, other um, relationships that he could form with, with students or people that he met from different backgrounds to demonstrate that, that he cared and wanted to stand in solidarity with others and um, show love for them. And so that was a profound time. It was a very tragic and sorrowful time, but it was profound to see Micah wrestling with these questions and to have the privilege to be a parent in that time and walk alongside him in that. Mm. Yeah, that that's one of those times I think that um, with everything going on and uh, you're probably still trying to understand how the event affects yourself and then process that and to have one of your children kind of ask that really poignant question that gets to the uh, the heart of the matter and it helps you to maybe better work through what what you're thinking and trying to come up with answers for yourself when you try to you know explain it and work through it with with one of your kids um i've kind of wondered about this myself in a way um like I've noticed that with Yuma and Silas and I, when when we play um, and we have our, our Duplos or like our, our Brooder um, figures, you know, we, we always say, you know, like orange guy or yellow guy or blue guy, and it's about their clothes. Um, and, uh, you know, Silas has a favorite teacher at his daycare and there are um, two teachers that have the same name and he calls her um, Black Keiko Sensei. And so her name is Keiko. And um, we know that, of course, because she wears black pants all the time. And Yuma and I were at my work and chatting and we were saying, oh, you know, so nice that that, that Silas had a good day at, at daycare today. And, and Yuma said, yeah, that's because black Keiko sensei was there. And my coworker overheard and gave us this really weird face. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's just because she wears black pants, you know. And um, in Japan here, you know, where most of the community around us, everyone looks fairly similar. Um, it's not something that I think that um, maybe Yuma is noticing so much about in terms of diversity. Um, sometimes we run into issues um, with maybe how, how I was treated or how I perceived that I was treated, but I usually, it usually ends up getting explained that things happened to me, um, maybe because my Japanese isn't as good as it could be, or maybe because people realize that I'm from America. So it kind of takes on more a, a, um, an issue of what country you're from more than um, how you look at the time with my kids. Um, you know, you must gain ready for um, elementary school. And um, that same coworker, uh, her, she's from Romania, and um, her one son, um, he's very fair-skinned, and his hair is, is quite light, too. And um, he had a time where he really didn't enjoy going to school because um, even though he's from Romania, all the kids called him the uh, American. And um, 
you know, he really, really felt, um, you know, really not excluded, but really the difference was, was really, you know, magnified in his light. And I think that this might be a question that Yuma and I, or Silas and I, or the three of us, and with Ayaku too, maybe the four of us have to eventually talk about um, from a pretty personal standpoint. But um, in terms of my young kids now, it's interesting how they really just see people by their clothes, you know, or what they do. And that's how they call people, you know, more than anything. And I, I try to be conscious of that too. If we see someone on the street, you know, I always say, oh, it's that person with this clothes or that clothes, as opposed to, oh, it's that person that looks like this or, you know, mm. that looks like that. Yeah, that's interesting. And I wonder how the, as you said, as the kids get older, the questions change as they get more life experience and they observe more and have more language and tools for describing the environment around them, What, how those questions will change over time. But I think you'll, you and Ayaka will be great dialogue partners in that conversation because you both have a lot of understanding and um that I think that'll be a really meaningful uh, kind of ongoing conversation to have. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I could share um, in a slightly different vein, um, maybe something more personal, a question that's a little bit more related to family directly um, and the story of Katie and of me, Aubrey, when she was in middle school and late middle school and moving into high school, started thinking a little bit more about um, the topic of boy-girl relationships and understanding that. And when do boys and girls typically think about dating? When do their parents allow them to talk about (laughs) and explore dating? Uh, For, for Katie and me, we, it's something that we, really kind of encouraged for later and like in high school, maybe early college, but, but she still was, was curious. And she asked what it was like when I first met Katie, how we got to know each other. And so I, I wanted to share a picture of that uh, from that time when I, when I met Katie here. So I'm going to go ahead and, and pull that up now. Um this is a picture of us when we were in college. Um, we met, really got to know each other in 2001. And that was at the end, uh, really the second semester of Katie's uh, sophomore year, and it was my junior year. And so we really got to know each other through our fellowship group, Worcester Christian Fellowship. And it was nice because um, our friendship, our relationship developed within the context of a group. And so there were lots of people we could spend time with. We went on a service trip together to Pittsburgh and worked with an organization called Hosanna Industries that helped build homes and restore homes. And so it, it was a chance to get to know each other outside of the context of campus and then just doing different activities with Worcester Christian Fellowship, they had a coffee house. and But I just remember um, there being a lot of humor and laughter and enjoyment in our early relationship 
in the context of this group. And there really wasn't a lot of drama initially. It was mm, much more mm, like mm, this time mm, of discovery mm. and, and enjoying getting to know each other in a group. And, and then we went um, to Michigan for a, a leader's training time in this upper peninsula camp called Cedar campus with InterVarsity. And it was really there that Katie and I went deeper in our relationship. We got to take a lot of, of walks and nature and to talk to each other more and really realized how much we were drawn to each other and felt like um, what the connection that we had was a gift from God and it was special. And so, so when I talk to Aubrey about it, I tend to tell those types of stories, how um, really our friendship grew first and it was a foundation on which our dating relationship was built. Um, the friendship in the context of this group. And then, um, and then she will say things like, well, dad, you know, you and mom are lucky, you know, that just kind of came together and it's not always that easy. And I thought, oh, that's so interesting. You know, our stories are so infinitely different in terms of how we meet our significant other. And my daughter, who isn't even yet to that point of dating, but is starting to think about these questions, realizes that it, it's not always so evident as pe when people are meeting that, oh, we should just proceed in our relationship. Uh, being on the same page for our relationship to go forward sometimes takes time for couples to discern and can be uh, harder or more confusing. So, so that kind of made me reflect and be grateful in my particular case for the unique gift that we had and the way our relationship developed. But but it's also interesting too, because we can tell her that we had our, our struggles and disagreements um, just like any couple. And it's good to be honest about that too. So she doesn't just have a, a sense that um, dating or a relationship is easy all the time. It involves a lot of sacrifice and work. And, and I think she has seen that too. And um, in terms of as parents, as we try to collaborate and um, work together and raising them, but, but it's interesting when, your child takes interest in your relationship with your spouse and makes you think a little bit more about it in a different light when they talk about, well, they're yearning for a companion. They're they're even though they're young, um, they still have that desire and like, oh, makes me want to pray for her and have that hope that she finds somebody that it feels just right as they meet each other and that um that it comes together in a way that's very um encouraging and um, life-giving and positive. So um, yeah, do you have any thoughts as, as you reflect on, on your own story in that regard or? Yeah, it's, um, it makes me think that, um, I, I think that I know that Ayoko and I have talked about, um, you know, how we met and our wedding a few times and, and our kids often went to hear um, more about that. They're always very curious about it. But there are also times when um, they're kind of surprised that we had lives before we knew each other. Um, they often think that that I lived in Japan at Ayako's house the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I love I remember, it. I love it. Yeah, I know. I remember them asking, like, you know, well, didn't you always live at Gigi and Baba's, you know, Ayako's parents' house? And I said, no, I used to live with Grammy and Grandpa. And um, then, you know, that brought on so many more questions. How did I come to Japan? And 
you know, what did I do? And how did we get to know each other and things like that? And, um, yeah, and our story too is, is tricky, um, a little bit for kids to understand since we met each other in a different country. And then we both went back home to our own countries and we're still in contact, but, um, then met again in Japan and, um, and then went from there. And yeah, I, I always wonder, um, you know, now, you know, Yuma is just playing with, um, the kids that he enjoys spending time with at school. And, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes just likes spending time by himself at school as well. But, you know, again, it's one of those things that as he gets older, one of those questions that might come up again. And, and, um, um, you're always thinking what's, what's the best way to guide them so that they, you know, have a really healthy outlook, but, um, have a realistic, um, outlook on, on what relationships really are. You know, like you said, I, I like how you, you really are careful to explain that, um, you know, there's ups and downs and there's really fun times and tough times and, um, times that you work through it together and, and, um, and that helps uh, your kids see the, the real richness of, of a complete, what a complete relationship is so that, you know, they go into relationships with a, a better understanding too, hopefully. Yeah, that's a good point. Thanks, Barney. Maybe if I could share now yet a third mm -hmm. different type of question, um, one that Hannah has often asked me about, and that is what it was like when I was little and I got in, into trouble. <laughs> For some reason, these are her favorite types of stories. And so I'm going to go ahead and share a picture of myself when I was younger. And, um, you know, it's interesting because when I was growing up, um, my parents maybe had a different style of discipline than Katie and I have. And so and that's probably a product of its era and, you know, where society was at the time, but corporal punishment was more common. Um, so I, I tell Santa stories about um, how, when I would not listen to my parents, um, sometimes if, if it was, was something that was considered on the naughtier side, they had a little wooden paddle and they would go and get it out of the the top of the um, wooden chest in the bathroom and they would come and I knew I would, I was in trouble. Oh, they no. <laughs> oh, no. give me some swats with the battle on the, on mm. the bottom. Um, and she's like, really, what was that like? I'm like, well, it, it stung, you know, and I didn't <laughs> yeah. want that, you know, to happen. And one time I hid the paddle and I went and announced to my parents, I don't know why, but I said, <laughs> I, I hid the paddle and they said, you did. And I said, yes. And they said, well, go get it. And I'm like, why? They're like, you need to get it. And so then I went and on, oh, then they used it. On me. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but I don't want to give the impression that they were um, wanting all the time to paddle me. It was, it was pretty <laughs> uncommon uh, more times than the not. It was just more a matter of verbal, you know, correction. Now, Jacob, mm -hmm. you know, better than that. Um, mm -hmm. So um, one story that I've told Hannah about, and this is just, <laughs> this is just a bizarre one, but I had a friend over and 
they went with me to the store and my family was doing some shopping. And then when we were done, we came out of the store and there were these pop machines by the front of the store. And so I said to my friend, Hey, do you want to get a can of pop? And he said, sure. So I had some change and we each got a can of pop. And then I thought it would be really cool if I leaned against the pop machine and, and drank my pop kind of, I'd look real cool. You know, so I, I leaned back and, and my dad said, come on, Jacob, come on, you know, we need to get going. And he called me several times and I was, I was like in the zone. I was really, you know, feeling this vibe of, of being cool. And so I wasn't coming. And so like, my friend got in the car, my parents got in the car and they started driving away. And, you know, when you're a little kid, you don't like think rationally when something happens. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sure, you know, they're just making a point and they're going to stop and wait for me. You think that they're going to leave you. And so I like, like took off running straight for the vehicle. I didn't look right or left to see if there was traffic. I just started running through the parking lot, um, uh, towards the vehicle and, they stopped right away because I think it shocked them. I I don't mm. think they thought that I was going to react that way. I think they thought I'd probably just, it would get my attention and then they'd swing back around and pick me up. But um, they said, Jacob, why did you run? Um, why did you run through the parking lot like that? And I was, and I was like crying, like you oh. were going to leave me. <laughs> and my friend had the, um, the, the most uncomfortable expression on his face, his eyes were real big and he was just kind of looking up. Um, uh, oh yeah. But you know, <laughs> this is not a shining moment, I guess um, for me, or probably, I think my parents really regretted that um, at the time, but, but for some reason, Hannah likes this. Story. <laughs> oh, Hannah's in the background. She says, I hear you. Um, yes. So anyway, um, so yeah, we get into trouble. Um, And sometimes, yes, um, we, our parents do something to get our attention Mm. and it works. Mm. Sometimes our parents or we, for that matter, as parents um, have an approach to correcting our child that later we think, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't a good decision or that could have done better. And so that's one of the stories where I think my parents were kind of saying that uh, and that, um, and I definitely got my attention, but, but how about for you, Barney, as you think about this topic, um, when you got into trouble, (laughs) when you were little, are there any memories that jump out to you or, or thoughts? Uh, Yeah, I, um, I, I don't think I've shared this, uh, with my kids yet. I've, I think that, that one day will probably come up. Um, but yeah, I remember, um, at church when, um, when even the before the sanctuary was remodeled, this, I remember this so clearly that we were in the balcony, and I loved being in the balcony. But um, as as number four, the youngest kid, sometimes it was hard for me to kind of contain my excitement for whatever was going on around me, and I would get real chatty, and then <laughs> sometimes I would get in trouble in that way too with my dad, and. Um, uh, I th- I know that I'll probably use this anecdote one day with my kids, but um, but I I haven't had the chance yet, and it probably will be hard for them to kind of grasp that idea because because I probably like you say it's pretty different from how we um we uh, work with our kids now. Um, we we use since since our home you know here in Japan is a little bit small, um, it doesn't really work. To have a naughty chair because there's too many interesting things too close by 
So um, I realized that, that the kind of least inaccessible, most boring place in our house is the stairway. So we have a naughty step instead. Oh. Yeah. And um, we have <laughs> we have had to put um, one of our kind of unofficial mascots in our house, um, Bad Mickey. Um, Mickey Mouse, who often does bad things around our house. And um, they have wondered, how many minutes does Bad Mickey have to sit on the steps? <laughs> and... He's more than 90 years old, so we have left him on the steps for a long time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, we, it, about being a parent, how do you kind of balance out having them um, feel responsible, but doing it in a constructive way? And, and, and I, too, have had times where I think I, maybe I could have handled that better, or maybe I wasn't thinking too, or I was focusing too much on making a point and not expecting um, my kids to react the way that they did. Um, but thankfully, they're, they're, they're so forgiving and, and on my side uh, in the end that um, I think that they, despite the times that, that maybe I didn't make the wisest, um, didn't carry things out in the smartest way, you know, they, they still get it. Um, and, uh, and sometimes they see that, that I get in trouble even now. <laughs> and I think that that kind of helps deliver the point to, you know, maybe that helps them to see that really everybody, everybody has, uh, has to deal with some kind of consequences, uh, based yes. on their actions. That's a really good point. And I wondered too, if it's okay, um, as a parent to, admit to your child, you know, sometimes I make mistakes when I'm trying to respond to something that's happened, or if I perceive a problem and I'm interacting with, with you or other members of our family, sometimes we make mistakes and we try And ideally if we, we can learn and grow and listen to other people and be vulnerable that next time it can be better or that we can say, we're sorry um, and seek forgiveness. If we've um, hurt someone uh, their feelings or they felt it was unreasonable. And so I think that that vulnerability and willingness to listen can go a long way. Um, mm. And um, if particularly if our children can see, we're trying to do the right thing and honor that the task of parenting and, and with care and love for them. Um, yeah. Um, it's interesting though, when you think about, there's like two aspects to this kind of what you said earlier this idea of aging and um, our children and how they view us. Um, like it's almost impossible for your kids to think of you outside of the context of your life there in Japan. Um, and if they work really hard, they might be able to theoretically think, Oh, our dad was a little boy once like us, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but then there are moments of connection where our kids might understand our childhood. Like if they see a toy that we used to have or, um, they see a movie that we saw when we were little and we said, we tell them, Oh, I, I saw that when I was your age. It's like, Oh, it makes that connection. Um, and I wanted to share um, a picture with you. Um, and it, and it relates to this topic of questions. Um, and this picture is, um, an opportunity I had in 2019 during my sabbatical to take our three children to West Alexander elementary school. Whoa. It's um, no longer functioning as a school. Now it is really a community center. 
And mm-hmm. there is a preschool in it, uh, as well as the like local township offices and local township police department. And um, but this part of the building, the gymnasium with the stage, is still almost a hundred percent identical to how uh, I remember it when I was an elementary school student. And so I was able to take my kids in the building and explain to them where um, things happened when I was young and what I did and what it was like to be a student there. And they asked all kinds of questions relating it to their experience in school. And um, it was so fun because it bridged that gap that it, we were talking about of them not really being able to see us as, um, you know, people who have gone through their childhood (laughs) to the point where they can see us like that, and then actually connect our experience with theirs and compare it. And so, um, this was a very special moment in my life when I got to do that. And I consider it a treasure. Um, so grateful that, that, that space still exists because some elementary schools, when they, when they cease being Mm -hmm. schools are torn down. But, uh, in this case, I was able to share this with my kids before that happened. So do you have any uh, um, stories like that where you've connected uh, some part of your childhood with with your kids, maybe during a visit here to the U.S. or through some toy or something else? Yeah, I think exactly. Um, uh, especially when my parents were getting ready to move, um, they sent a lot of things back to, to me here. And um, my kids were really excited and really curious to see these these old toys that showed up. And um, yeah, that brought a lot of questions about, um, um, you know, what, what kind of toy is this? Or, or um, how did you play with it? And, um, you know, one toy um, I had that was a transformer that, yeah, was, was, I think it was a big, big, big deal even then when I got to have it. And, um, you know, they had a lot of questions, you know, why, why was it such a, a, a difficult, you know, why was it kind of difficult for you to get this toy? You know, why did it take so much effort to get it? And, you know, explain about how toys used to be. And, um, you know, I always ran into these toys that, you know, of course they look so neat on TV and on the commercials and they're supposed to have like the little interactive things. Like you press a button and like something pops out or something they never worked for me, you know, <laughs> and explaining that kind of frustration that we had with toys back then, you know, and how, you know, the toys that they have now, they really work, you know, they do what they're supposed to do. And um, actually, you can even see in my background here, um, an old, old Lego set. Um, wow. It's the, yeah. Is that it's a castle? King, it is. It's the King's Mountain Fortress. And um, yeah, I had it from elementary school and found it and brought it back with me. And they love hearing about um, how I liked it so much and how, um, you know, it was so much fun to put together. And and it's so great to play with them, play it with them now. And um, they ask me questions, you know, well, why was it that you liked the castle ones so much because I had to like a lot of those other like small little box ones that came with it or that that were also the same theme. And it's fun to be able to answer those questions because it really talks about, you know, um, your your hobbies and your likes when you were little. And, um, you know, that that kind of interest in castles and that era, it 
really kind of influenced me and made me feel secure and inspired to study history. And, and it had a real impact, you know, it guided and shaped the way my life ended up being and being able to share that with them and, and what that interest, you know, that kind of on the side little curiosity I had, how it shaped um, me growing up. Um, the time when you're telling them they're just interested more in, in the toy and, I'm, and you always wonder how much of this is getting through but i think that eventually they'll they'll think back and and maybe find that story to be inspiring in one way or another i think yeah that that's really interesting barney uh so we have had some overlap in our experience as parents with this and that's that's really neat to hear uh, maybe one final Thing that I'd like to share in this topic related to questions is that the questions our children ask um, not only can enlarge their view of the world, but can enlarge our own view of our world. And there's a real opportunity when a question's asked for growth on all sides. And that's part of that uh, beautiful dynamic with parenting is that in giving, you receive, you know, and in, um, and listening to our children, um, also, we discover so many new things too about ourselves. And so I wanted to share this final, actually, it's a set of pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's related to um, a recent event uh, that happened at Central Christian School at the beginning of, t- of October. This is the third time that we've had this event um, for World Communion Sunday. And it basically, it's an opportunity for a number of Mennonite churches in our area to come together to celebrate communion and to also proclaim that we are part of this global body, a global um, family of people from all different cultures and backgrounds that are connected in um, their relationship with God. And um, through Jesus, they're connected with one another. And um, one thing that's very special about this day is that um, it's a, it's a truly intercultural experience because we bring um, communities that have different languages and music styles and expressions of worship. So you see in this picture, uh, we have our three worship leaders mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. every part of the service in the program is translated into Swahili, English, and Spanish. So we have on the left, Wilanja, who is our Swahili-speaking worship leader. In the middle, Cheryl Lee, who's our English-speaking worship leader. And then on the right, Justina, who's our Spanish-speaking worship leader. And the three of them um, led us through this time. And so through, through prayer, through scripture, mm-hmm. um, through um, song. And um, another special thing about this um, time is that we have... Um, uh, people inter- interacting and learning together. And you see seated here around these tables, um, our participants for the day, we had around 350 people from, I believe it was 10 different churches. And so mm. um, as we were gathered, choirs performed, the Congolese choir from the Akron Swahili Mennonite Church uh, performed and um, the Central Christian Varsity Singers, and wow. my son Micah is a part of that, mm. performed. And then Salem's Worship Band performed. So it was just a very special time. And, and then we were able to sing together um, uh, 
multilingual song too, uh, hymn, uh, There's Power in the Blood, which is people seem mm. to really enjoy that. Um, and afterwards, you know, Micah um, shares with me his his question, but also his appreciation. Uh, this is a picture of us together yeah. um, after the event. And, um, you know, it's so interesting as he was singing with varsity singers, one of the songs that they did has a chorus that is in Swahili mm -hmm. and it starts out in English and then they get to this chorus. And I was sitting at a table with a couple of pastors from the Akron Swahili Mennonite church. And when it came to that point in the chorus and they heard the, the language and the melody and Swahili, their faces lit up and it was uh. very special. And so Michael asked me about this, you know, wasn't that neat dad that we got to do this mm. and isn't it special that all these um, people came together and how, how did it happen? And I could talk to him a little bit about yeah. the story and, 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 um, and I can ask him questions like, what did you feel when you were up mm -hmm. front singing? And um, did you make some new friends? And as we talk about it, the experience enlarged our vision of the world, our experience of the world. And then the, conversation we have afterward also draws us into reflection on that. And I think it's one of the most meaningful things being in ministry um, are to seek after these types of opportunities where our, um, we can extend hospitality, receive hospitality, learn something new about people from other backgrounds and appreciate them and celebrate them. And, um, and it does help us grow and have a, a greater appreciation appreciation for what God is doing in our world. And it's like a foretaste of that. The promises we read in scripture that, that God is creating this great family of people from all around the world and drawing them together. And in heaven, that will be ultimately expressed in this great banquet feast. And I, this the, days like this, opportunities like this are a foretaste of that um, in our normal lives of that. So I'm very grateful. Uh, and I wonder, have you had any intercultural experiences with your children? Have you seen moments where they've gotten a glimpse of something out of the box or out of the normal routine that has made them kind of reflect, oh, this is different. And wow, like, how did this happen, dad? And, you know, as you, you reflect on that with them, it kind of enlarges their view of the world, maybe enlarges your own. Yeah, I, I it's hard to know. Um... When, when our kids were starting to get, um, you know, older and, and more aware, then that's, that's when, um, you know, COVID started to become more prominent. And so it was harder to uh, be able to find or attend some events that might be kind of a multicultural uh, uh, gathering area. Um, and then, you know, the biggest thing that, that sticks out in my mind, of course, was the recent, the trip that Yuma and I had to the U.S., um, over the summer. And I know that we, we saw a lot of diversity and a lot of variety when we were, um, in, uh, Chicago, uh, in the airport. Um, but I think even then, you know, everyone is kind of there for the same reason, you know, you, obviously someone's in the airport, they're, they're traveling. Um, but, uh, and you hear different pockets of languages here and there, or see, um, passengers interacting, um, or, or staff interacting kind of in a different way than what we would see them doing here in Japan. But um, at the same time, um, it, it was hard to kind of get like that kind of real wonderful feel. But may, maybe 
maybe now that I think of it, um, kind of on the opposite end, um, in our travels in Japan or in America, it was maybe so nice and comforting and also unique when we were in Toronto and um, getting ready to board our flight to Cleveland. And um, it turned out that the gay agent was from Japan. And maybe that was that kind of rare thing that here we are surrounded by all of these people from North America, um, mostly. And then here's this one little pocket of home for us. And um, I think we spoke, we probably chatted the most about that event, which, you know, we come from a country full of people from Japan. And then, you know, it's only a few hours ago, in fact. And then this really kind of this little blessing, because it ended up being a real blessing. Um, and this woman who is, um, we just spent time trying to guess, how is it that she got here? You know, is she on, um, you know, the, um, the kind of, um, the worker, you know, what is it, the, the, visa exchange program that they have, or is she on this or that? And, and it was just so neat to, to have that, that really unexpected, um, uh, chance to share, um, to, to meet this other person that, um, we didn't expect to see who was from, from a different, different country that we didn't expect to run into. Um, and, but yeah, I also wonder how, when, um, our kids have more chances to see these different events, maybe different, in our case, like different parts of, um, kind of old Japanese culture, maybe, um, when, when we want to have them get them the chance to see maybe the old taiko drumming or, um, the shamisen concerts that, that they used to have. And, um, uh, I know that they kind of have a lot of questions when there are the festivals, um, in the summer that are kind of related, kind of connected with temples. Um, and may maybe that will be kind of some things that spark their, their questions about, um, about why this and isn't this neat or, or why don't we do this kind of thing again, but hopefully, yeah, we'll have a really wonderful and meaningful experience like what you guys had, something similar to that, and that we can help them be a part of in the future too. Yeah, that sounds great, Barney. And I really like how you related that question both um, to the intercultural experience, but also to familiarity. And when you're in a new space, if you come across somebody from your home culture, that can also be its own um, unique opportunity too, to, to receive that encouragement. I like that. And then like how you related it to aspects of our own culture too, that generate questions and heritage and appreciation of that. I, I like that. Um, so thank you very much for going on this journey with me, talking about the questions that our kids ask and what it calls to mind for us and uh, new ways of thinking about our own lives in light of them. And I also want to thank our viewers and listeners for joining into this conversation. We really appreciate you and appreciate you taking time um, to, to reflect with us. And we uh, look forward to connecting with you again soon. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>